this morning, Isaiah and chapter number 14. You know, we talk a lot about revival, and we talk about how important it is and how we ought to pray for it. And we, uh, the sign that hangs on the wall behind me is my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. We talk a lot about revival, but you understand it has to start somewhere. It has to start somewhere. Uh, someone has to be willing to say, I'm willing for that to start with me. Uh, I'm willing to be the one to humble myself and to pray and to seek God's face. And I'm willing to turn from my wicked ways. And, you know, you may not have control and I may not have control over whether or not anyone else does that. But we've got control over the one that we look at in the mirror every morning. And uh, we, can, we can be the one to say, Lord, let it start with me. And uh, praise the Lord for the truth there. And, of course, I want you to pray uh, for Gary and Mindy. And uh, that was Gary on the piano a while ago. I, uh, <coughs> I had to do a double take there. And Brother Gary's been holding out on me. And uh, all this time, I had no idea. And, uh, but, uh, but anyway, you pray for them. This will be their last service for a while uh, here at home because, uh, of course, as many of you know, they are on deputation. They're missionaries. Uh, raising support to go to Australia, and uh, I'm, I'm so pleased that our church is the sending church for Gary and Mindy Kingston and their family, and uh, they're going to be traveling uh, pretty much every Sunday for the next, for the foreseeable future. Of course, uh, the summertime is a little bit tough as far as deputation is concerned, and, but, uh, but they're getting ready to kick it in high gear. I know they'll be uh, traveling much between now, and we may not see them here in service until right around Thanksgiving. So I want you to pray diligently for I know many of you do. You pray faithfully for Gary and Mindy, but I wanted to put another uh, audible reminder for you to do so. Ask the Lord to protect them as they travel. Ask the Lord to touch the hearts of churches and pastors to take them in and to take them on for support, and uh, it's very important. You know, if we'll get a, if we'll get a picture of God's big world— if we'll get really concerned about God's big world, guess what? I believe this with all my heart. He'll, he'll take interest in our little world. I believe that. And uh, I'm thankful for all the, uh, of what he's done for missions and, that, uh, and the prayer for missionaries and so forth. Places all around the world. Yesterday I was praying and, and, uh, and the thought struck me, uh, you know, <coughs> at, about, uh, at about 10 o'clock or so on Saturday night, Sunday school is starting on the other side of the world at the Pacific Rim, in the Philippines and in Japan and in South Korea and uh, all along uh, the, the Far East. At 10 o'clock on Saturday night, it's 10 o'clock Sunday morning over there. Guess what? They're meeting, and some folks are gathering in house churches, and some folks are meeting underground, and some folks are, are doing all they can to give the gospel. Folks will never hear. So we need to pray for them. Isaiah <coughs> chapter 14. Stand with me, please, for the reading of God's word. Isaiah and chapter number 14. And we'll begin reading in verse number 9. Isaiah chapter 14 and verse number 9. Hell from beneath is moved for thee to meet thee at thy coming. It stirreth up the dead for thee, even all the chief ones of the earth. It hath raised up from the thrones all the kings of the nations. All they shall speak and say unto thee, Art thou also become weak as we? Art thou become like unto us? 
thy pomp is brought down to the grave, and then the noise of thy vows, and the worm is spread under thee, and the worms cover thee. Notice verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou, art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? Notice verse 13. For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. There's your first sin, by the way. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Verse 15, yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms? I want to talk to you this morning on a very, very important message, and that is simply this, robbing God of his glory. Robbing God of his glory. Our Father, I pray that you'd help us this morning as we think and look upon things eternal. Father, this is a wonderful book, and we certainly love it, and thank you that you're the author of it. And uh, these are not man's words, these are your words, and I pray that you'd uh, sink them deep into our hearts this morning. And Father, take the truth of the Word of God and help us as we uh, set out to fulfill the purpose for which you made us. And uh, Father, I pray that everyone here would decide this morning to make the decision, the conscious decision, not to allow Satan to use us to rob our God of glory that rightfully belongs to you. Our Father, please use the message this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. If you'll remember in your New Testament, in just a few hours, a few days maybe, perhaps at the most, before Jesus was to be crucified, Jesus met with the disciples and he said, one of you is going to betray me. And they said, Lord, is it I, is it I, is it I? And of course, no one suspected it to be Judas Iscariot. Jesus also looked at Peter and he said, Peter, before the sun comes up tomorrow morning, you're going to deny me three times. This, of course, was at the gathering that we know as the Last Supper. And, and uh, Peter said, Lord, I'm never going to deny you. He said, if, uh, uh, it doesn't matter what happens. He said, I'll die for you before I deny you. But we know the story and we know how it turned out. And Peter did indeed deny his Savior. And then after Jesus was crucified and rose again from the dead, and we know that Peter had a little bit of a time of, of backsliding there. And, and, uh, and, and Jesus at some point looked at Peter and he said, Look, Peter, he said, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. That's not the text of the message this morning, but I'm using that as an illustration as we get into the sermon because I want you to understand that Satan's goal was not primarily Peter. His goal was to destroy the potential of Peter's life. His goal was to wreck and to ruin what Peter could accomplish for the glory of God Almighty. He wanted to make sure that Peter's life was ineffective to bring God any glory. Though Satan did not know that Peter would preach on the day of Pentecost in just a few short weeks from that point, he did know that Peter had the potential to bring a lot of glory to God. That would be Peter's purpose, and Satan knew that God had a purpose 
for Peter's life. Satan wants to destroy everything that brings glory to God because he hates God. He absolutely hates God. In fact, in the verses that we read in Isaiah 14 just a few moments ago, in verse 12 it says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which does weaken the nations? He's, and, and here it is in verse 13. He said, For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend unto heaven. That is the original sin. We talk about sin uh, originally in the Garden of Eden. Oh, yes, that's where sin was original for mankind. We understand that uh, Adam and Eve sinned there by eating of the forbidden fruit there. But that's not where it started as far as sin itself is concerned. Because a long time before that, it was Lucifer who in heaven. Did you get that? The first sin was committed in heaven. That's interesting, isn't it? But Lucifer in heaven, before time began down here on this earth, Lucifer said, I will. Two words, your first sin, I will. He insisted on his will. This passage reveals to us the original sin. Lucifer said in his heart, it's all about me. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Lucifer said, in essence, it's all about what I want. It's all about what pleases me. It's all about who I am. I will ascend into the position of God. I'll be God myself, and I will be just like God. May I say, God said in his word, he'll not share his glory with anyone. He'll not share his glory with anyone. Our pride is nothing new. It has its roots there in Lucifer himself. It's been around since before the creation of the world. And in that passage also we see the hatred that Satan has for God. The hatred that Satan has for God. It should be no surprise that when God created man and woman and placed them in the Garden of Eden and made them the crown jewel of his creation and made them in his own image, it should be no surprise that they, speaking of Adam and Eve, became primary targets for Satan's attack. And let me say this this morning, Adam and Eve were primary targets for Satan's attacks, not because of who they were, but because they were connected to God. You follow me? Satan's primary target has always been God. That's his, that's his enemy. That's who he hates the most. Oh, Satan came after Peter, and Satan came after Adam and Eve in the garden, and Satan, no doubt, mark her down, he'll come after you and I as well, but it's because God loves us. It's because we're the crown jewel of God's creation. It's because we were made in God's image, and Satan hates God. The Bible does not tell us how much time elapsed between the creation of Adam and Eve in the garden and the serpent tempting Eve, but apparently it was not very long. The serpent came and spoke with Eve and began to question God to her. You know the story. He said to Eve there in the garden, he said, uh, uh, Yea, hath God said, did God really tell you that you were not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? He questioned God's word. He questioned God's purposes for man. He said to Eve, he said, God knows that in the day that you eat of the fruit of that tree, you're going to become your own God, knowing good and evil. You won't need him after that. 
And so Eve, why don't he, what was he doing? He was questioning Adam and Eve's purpose in, uh, in their lives. Adam and Eve and the whole human race at large was the target of Satan, but the real target was God himself. Follow me carefully this morning. The real target is to rob God of his glory. Now, let me say this. Satan knows what his end is. Satan knows that one day he's going to end up in that hell that God made for him. He knows that he's going to be cast into that bottomless pit. He knows that one day he is going to no more be able to tempt anyone. No more will he be able to tempt someone with alcohol and, uh, and break up a home because of that filth and that garbage. No more will he be able to poison the minds of our young people through the filth from Hollywood. No more will he be able to, uh, to wreak havoc in our homes and in our marriages and in our society. No more will he be able to deceive the nations and to deceive people and, uh, and talk them out of trusting in Christ. No more will he be able to do that. He knows his days are numbered. He understands that. But friend, let me caution you this morning. Though he knows his time is short, he's very active in what he's doing right now. And he understands the purpose of your life and my life is to bring glory and honor and pleasure to God. That's why I'm here. And that's why you're here this morning. That's why you breathe God's air and drink God's water and eat the food that God is so gracious to provide for us and to enjoy all the wonderful things that this life affords. Hey, it's not so that I can have fun, it's so that he can have fun. <laughs> it's not for my glory, it's for his glory. You were made to praise the Lord. You were made to glorify God. What does it mean, preacher, to glorify God? You're there to make God look good. <laughs> You're there where you are in your life in what God has given you to make God look good. People will look at your life and glorify God. Jesus said it in Matthew. He said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Now, good works won't take you to heaven, but good works, you're supposed to do good works after you get saved. Well, why is that? Jesus told us. He said, so that men may see your good works and glorify you. No, 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 no. Not you, him. No, I'm supposed to do good works, not so that somebody can pat me on the back and say, hey, look at him, what a great Christian. No, no, I'm supposed to do good works so people can look up and say, wow, what a God. Wow, what a Savior. Wow, what a Creator. Wow, what a Redeemer. That's why we're supposed to do good works. God is all about glory to himself. Our actions are to bring glory to God. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31, the Bible says, Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Our words are to bring glory to God. Our thoughts are to bring glory to God. Psalm 19, 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable unto thee, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer, our actions, our words, our thoughts, our attitudes, everything we are, everything we do, every word we say is to bring honor and glory to God Almighty. Now, my life is not about me. It's about God. Your life is not about you. It's about God. My life is, you know, God put me here uh, for the last 50 years to bring honor and glory to him. 
And I don't, I don't know how long God will leave me here, but as long as he does, whether we're talking hours or minutes or we're talking months or years or decades, it doesn't matter how long I'm here. What matters is the time that I am here, I'm supposed to spend that time giving God glory and honor. Your life and all is said and done is not about you and what makes you happy. It's about God and what makes him happy. Now listen very carefully to the message this morning. Satan is well aware that our purpose is to glorify God. He knows that. He understands that. He, that is the devil, his desire is to rob God of the glory that belongs to God. So the question is, how does he do that? How does Satan go about robbing God of the glory that is due unto God? Well, uh, <coughs> the, the Bible tells us, uh, by way of introduction, in Psalms chapter 19, verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. All of creation is a billboard for God's glory. It's a billboard for God's glory. I love to look at what God did. It's amazing to me. It doesn't matter what the, the season is. Uh, here in Michigan, we get to enjoy all the seasons, uh, and uh, some of them we enjoy a little longer than others, but that's okay. And, uh, <clears throat> but, uh, but we enjoy the, the, the beautiful sunrises and the sunsets, and we enjoy the snow and the, the beauty of it in the wintertime, and we enjoy the fall foliage of the leaves, and we enjoy the new life of the spring, and all of it reminds us of God. It reminds us of his glory. It reminds us of his power. It reminds us of his might. I think about the, the birds and the trees and the oceans and the streams and the majestic mountains and the beautiful fields and the rolling plains and the rivers that run into the ocean and the sun and the moon and the stars. And all of it loudly declares the wondrous glory of God. So how does Satan take that and rob God of the glory that he deserves from his own handiwork. I'll tell you how he's done it. He put the notion in somebody's mind a few hundred years ago that it all happened because of the big explosion. He put the cockamamie idea, cockamamie, say what does that mean? It's crazy. When you're from the South, you add lots of syllables to words to make them even crazier, amen? But he, uh, he put it in somebody's mind to teach children that man came from a monkey. To teach children that all of what we enjoy, all of what serves as a billboard to bring glory and honor to our great God just happened because of some cosmic gas that billions of years ago decided to explode and from that, from that uh, chaos of an explosion came all of the order of the universe and the solar system and the galaxies that we enjoy. Now what, who does that make sense to? You've got to have a hole in your head to believe that. I read a, uh, a survey the other day. They say now only 42% of Americans believe that God created the heavens and the earth by the word of his mouth. Only 42% of Americans. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but we have a problem. We have a problem. But that problem stems from the fact that Satan a long time ago said, you know what, I can't do anything about God's creation because God made it perfectly. I can't do anything about the, the, uh, the solar system and the Milky Way and all the wonderful things. The Bible says that God meted out the universe with a span and he holds the oceans in the palm of his hand. I can't do it, but I can do this. I can try to steal the glory of it away from him. 
I can ascribe everything that God did for himself and everything that God did for his own pleasure, and I can take it and twist it, and I can try to give glory and credit to somebody or something else. It doesn't matter as long as God doesn't get the glory for it. That's how he did it. How else will Satan try to steal glory away from God? He focuses this morning on you and I, the creatures that were made in the very image of God. You see, it wasn't the dogs or the cats or, the, or any other life form of which the Bible says that the Lord formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. The Bible tells us very clearly that God made man in his own image. And so Satan sits up and he takes note of that and he decides, you know what, I'm going after man. I'm going after Adam and Eve in the garden. I'm going after them because they have a relationship with God that is unique, and they have the potential to bring God glory, and they have the potential to bring God honor, and they have the potential to bring pleasure to God. And I want to ruin that because I hate God. So this morning, the message is very simple. Satan's purpose for your life is that your life not bring glory to God. Real simple. His plan for your life, we can wrap it up in that one statement. He wants to prohibit you. He wants to constrict you. He wants to deny you bringing glory to God. How does he do it? Very simply, number one, how does Satan keep you and I from bringing glory to God? Number one, he wants us to be bad. He wants us to be bad. Now, you'll see the alliteration as we go, but just for the sake of the outline, he wants us to sin. He wants us to sin. He wants to drive a wedge between God and man. He wants to drive a wedge between our fellowship. Hey, the message this morning is primarily to save people, but I'll apply it to unsaved people here in just a few moments. If you're here this morning, you may be saved on your way to heaven, but you are robbing God of the glory and the honor and the pleasure that belongs to him if you're living a life of sin this morning. Hey, if you're doing things that are contrary to the word of God, what are you doing? Hey, oh, preacher, don't worry about it. It's my life. I'm, I, I can do what I want to. Nobody, what I'm doing is not hurting anyone else. It, it doesn't really matter. Oh, yes, it does because your life is all about bringing honor and glory to God. And if you're sinning this morning, if you're involved in some, some wickedness, it may be hidden to everybody else. You may be the only one who knows about it, but let me tell you something. There's a God in heaven who knows about it, and you are robbing God of glory that belongs to him if you're doing something you ain't got no business doing. Hey, preacher, what does it matter if I look a little bit of, uh, look at a few X-rated movies on the side or, or a little bit of pornography or a little bit of this or a little bit of that? Hey, what does it matter if I drink a little here or smoke a little there? What does it matter if I cheat on my spouse a little bit here or there? Hey, as long as I don't find out, what does it matter? Hey, I'll tell you what it matters is you belong to God. And the Bible tells us that your body is, is holy and sacred and it's to bring glory to God. Your life is all about God's glory, not your fun. By the way, life's a whole lot of fun when our life is spent making sure God has fun. The happiest people in this room this morning are people who, who are concerned about bringing God glory in their life. 
But the problem is Satan has lied to us and he has told us that your life is all about your pleasure. Hey, don't worry about faithfulness at church. Don't worry about Sunday night. Don't worry about Wednesday night. Hey, don't worry about faithfulness in your Bible study. Don't worry about faithfulness in your walk with God. Don't worry about all those things because after all, this is your life. Hey, your life is about God. It's about him. He wants us to be bad. He wants us to sin against God. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 4, the Bible says, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Sin is when I do things that are contrary to God's law. That's what it is. Whether it's sins of omission, things that I do not do that I should do, or whether it is sins of commission, things that I shouldn't do that I do anyway. Either way, those sins, and by the way, we can list hundreds of them this morning. We may not have listed your own pet sin, but I'll tell you something. Whatever it is, whatever sin it is that you're harboring in your life, whatever it is that you're trying to keep under wraps a little bit, there's a God in heaven who knows, and your life is not accomplishing what God made you for, and that's to bring him glory. That's how Satan wants to rob God of the glory that you should be bringing to God from your life. So number one, he, makes, he wants us to be bad. Number two, how else will Satan rob God of his glory? He wants us to be bitter. He wants us to be bad. Or another way that he can rob God of his glory is to make us bitter. Bitter. If you want to turn with me there to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, and I should have given you a heads up on that, but tell you what, I'll read it while you're turning there. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 15. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 15. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Now, let me explain something. God's grace does not fail, but we can fail God's grace. And we fail God's grace when our pride gets in the way. The Bible says that, that uh, God resisteth the proud, but gives grace unto the humble. Gives grace unto the lowly. Let's start that over again. Hebrews 12, 15, looking diligently. In other words, be very aware, be very keen, be very vigilant, be very uh, open and alert to what Satan's trying to do here. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Here it is lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. So here's the point. If Satan cannot bad you into, I know that's bad grammar there, if he can't make you bad in order to take God's glory away from you, perhaps he can make you bitter and take God's glory away from him. Perhaps he can make you bitter. You say, preacher, what are you talking about? Angry at God, upset at God, upset over circumstances and blame them on God. Last Thursday night, my wife and I were knocking on doors with, uh, with the people from the soul winning bus and we uh, were walking down the sidewalk and as I turned to go uh, up the sidewalk, there was, uh, there was a lady sitting on her, on her front porch and, he, and she said this, she said, don't waste your time, preacher. Don't waste your time. Here's what she said. Because God's done nothing for me. That's what she said. God done, oh, 
you know, there was part of me, I, I just got through challenging the soul winners before that, saying leave the door open so somebody comes behind you. I hate it when God uses your own words to. I had a really quick comeback, but I held my peace just long enough to let it subside. I almost said, man, you're breathing God's air. You're drinking his water. You're eating his food. He's done a lot for you. I, don't, I have no idea what that lady's story is, but if I had to guess, there's some bitterness there. There's some bitterness there. There's some angst there. There's some friction there in her heart toward a God in heaven who loves her so much that he gave his only son to die on a cross for her. Hey, let me tell you something. That same God gave that same son to die for you. But Satan, he wants, you to, he wants to rob God of his glory, and he wants to use you to do it. And if he cannot badge you into uh, robbing God of his glory, maybe he can bitter you enough to keep God from getting glory from your life. There are folks who should be in this room this morning, and they're not here. And the reason why they're not here, you could sum it up in one word, they're bitter. They're bitter. You say, preacher, why are you saying it to us? I'm saying it to all of us because all of us have the potential if we're not careful. Bad things happen to people, and then people uh, uh, turn around and blame those bad things on the God of heaven. Hey, let me tell you something. God loves you, and God's for you this morning. And, uh, and, and look, <clears throat> by the way, if, if judgment has come into your life, it's not God's fault. Sin is what drives the wedge between us and the Lord. The Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. Here's what we do. We do something bad. <clears throat> we pay the consequences for that sin and then blame God. Which makes no sense. There are folks in this room. There's some bitterness in your heart. There's some bitterness toward a brother or sister in Christ. There's some bitterness toward a family member. There's some bitterness toward some circumstances, toward God over some circumstances in your life. There's some bitterness about some sickness. There's some bitterness about things that you look at, look, that you look at in your life and you say, that's not right, that's not fair, that's not just. God, how could you let that happen? Hey, let me tell you something. It doesn't matter what the cause of the bitterness is. Mark her down. Your being bitter at God will hurt you more than anybody else. By the way, it'll, it'll hurt other people as well. The last part of that verse says, and thereby many be defiled. Many be defiled. Hey, mama, you can't afford to be bitter. You got children to raise. Hey, daddy, you, don't, you, you can't afford bitterness in your heart. You got children to bring up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Hey, I'm simply saying Satan is looking for an opportunity to rob God of glory that belongs to him. And your life is all about bringing glory to God. Satan wants to take that away. And so if he can do it through sin or if he can do it through bitterness, that's exactly what he'll do. That's exactly what he'll do. He wants us to be bad. He would have us to be bitter. If those two things don't work, I'm going to switch gears a little bit as we come to the conclusion of the message. If he cannot have us bad and rob God of his glory, or if he cannot have us become bitter and rob God of his glory, don't miss this last one. He would have us to become busy. Busy. Too busy to glorify God. Satan uses it as a tool. We live in a society that's going everywhere 100 miles an hour. 100 miles an hour. 
And Satan would love for you and I to get too busy for God. Knocked on the door yesterday, follow up on someone. Said, hey, man, I want to see you in church tomorrow. I don't think he's here. Here's what he said. Preacher, I'd be there. I know I've missed a lot in the last several weeks, but I've just been real busy. By the way, this outline was written before he said that. <laughs> but it's indicative of a lot of us, isn't it? We get so busy that God gets crowded out of our life. We get so busy. And my, by the way, I'm not saying busy doing evil things or busy doing sinful things. Many times it's busy doing good things. Busy doing things that are okay. Busy doing things that are not in and of themselves sinful. But let me tell you something. A good thing becomes a bad thing when it keeps you from doing what your purpose is. And your purpose, my friend, is to bring glory to God. And if I'm too busy to prioritize my life into doing what will bring God the most glory, then I'm too busy. I'm too busy. Satan wants to take away the glory that rightfully belongs to God. He's done it with evolution. He has ascribed that which God did so beautifully and so wonderfully and said, it just happened. It just happened. But he also wants to do it with your life. He wants your life not to fulfill the purpose that God has for you. If he can do it through sin, that's what he'll do. If he can wreck and ruin your life, you, you know what? It's really not about wrecking and ruining your life as much as it is the fact that when your life is wrecked and ruined, you can't bring God any glory. Hey, God gets no glory if somebody in this room this morning who's a saved child of God goes off the deep end and, and, and wrecks his life. God gets no glory from that. Satan knows that. He knows that. So if he can cause you to be bad in an effort to rob God of his glory, that's exactly what he'll do. If he can cause you to become bitter and rob God of his glory, that's exactly what he'd like to do. He doesn't care how he accomplishes it. Because if he cannot get you to be bad or to be bitter, he'll get you too busy. Preacher, I'd be back on Sunday night. I'm just too busy. Hey, preacher, I'd be here for Wednesday night prayer meeting. I'd be here, but I'm just too busy. Hey, you know what? Uh, you know, Lord, I'd love to pray and spend time with you. I'd love to get your power on my life. God, I'd love to spend some time in your word. But you understand, I'm a busy man. I'm a busy man. Lord, I'd like to bring up my children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I'd love to, I I'd love to raise my, our, our children according to the precepts of your word. But, Father, we're just, we're busy, you know. May I fast forward time a few, I don't know how far in, in advance because we don't know when Jesus is coming back. But there's going to come a day when we all stand before the Lord. And as we heard about in Sunday school this morning, we need to live our lives with that day in mind. We need to keep in mind that one day we won't be too busy to stand before the Lord. Our schedule will be abruptly and completely cleared for that appointment. <laughs> and it won't matter. It won't matter so much what caused us not to bring glory to God. 
But what will matter is that as a child of God, who didn't bring glory to God, you were saved for a purpose. God did not save you just to take up 18 inches of cubic. God did not save you, my friend, just so that you could have a fire escape from hell. That's not why he saved you. Now, thank God for it. <laughs> i tell you why I got saved. I got saved because somebody, <coughs> some soul winner, some preacher, dangled me over the fires of hell. And I said, I don't want that at all. That's why I got saved. That's exactly why I got saved. But when you look at my salvation from God's perspective, oh, that's part of it. He didn't want you to go to hell either. He's not willing that any should perish, the Bible says, but that all should come to repentance. But I'll tell you what, God gets no glory when people go to hell. God gets no glory when folks reject his son and spend eternity in a lake of fire. And if you're here this morning, you've got an appointment with death, as we all do. Your life will absolutely bring God zero glory if you die and go to hell. If you die and go to hell. Christian, thank God that you're saved. That's wonderful. But as far as your saved life is concerned, your Christian life is concerned, Satan wants to rob God of the glory that your life has the potential to bring to him. So he does it to make you bad. To tempt you for sin. How's he going to do it? If he can't get you to be bad, he'll get you to be bitter. How's he going to do it? If he can't get you to be bad, get you to be bitter. Maybe he's gotten many of us too busy. Just too busy. One of these days, Lord, I'm going to put you first in my life. One of these days, Lord, I'm going to, I'm going to give it all. I'm going to Give this Christianity thing all I've got. Hey, you only got one shot at it. Only one life. So soon it'll be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. Look, we're like the kid, and I, I close with this illustration. Our priorities are so messed up. And many of you have heard this before, no doubt, but we're like a little kid who his mom came in and saw that he had his hand stuck in her expensive vase. If you're really highfalutin, it's a vase. But for us common folk, it's a vase. He had his hand stuck in that vase, and his mom was abhorred because it wasn't just any vase. It was a family heirloom kind of vase, vase. And he walks over there, and he said, Mama, I can't get it out. She said, we've got to get your hand out of there. That was given to me by my mother and my grandmother and her mother to her and so on. It's been in our family for generations. We've got to get it off of your hand. They tried everything. She tried cooking oil. She tried grease. She tried everything she could think of trying to get that boy's hand out of there. And much to her chagrin, Brother Dave, she said, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do, but you can't go around the rest of your life with a vase on the end of your arm. It's just, it's just not the way it's supposed to be. And so she took him over to the kitchen counter. And as much as it pained her to do it, she said, son, we're going to have to break that vase. And so they pounded it on that kitchen counter. And as you might imagine, that vase shattered into thousands of pieces. And when that vase shattered in thousands of pieces, much to the horror and amazement of that mother, that little boy had his fist clenched just like this. 
He said, son, what were you thinking? All you had to do was open your hand, and it probably would have fit in the opening just like it went in that opening. (laughs) Makes sense. And he opened his little hand, and there was a penny. A penny. Something of great sentimental value was destroyed for something that meant very little. Our lives can be like that. We're going to stand before the Lord one day. And we're going to clutch and we're going to hang on to all the way to the grave. We're going to hang on to everything that is for our own pleasure, for our own honor, for our own glory, for our own purposes or whatever. And we're going to ignore the one who made us and we're going to ignore his purpose for our life. And we're not going to bring much glory for him or to him if we're not careful. And we're going to stand before him and we'll have very little to show for it. Very little to show for it. How about it this morning? Has Satan duped you into robbing God of the glory that rightfully belongs to him? Has Satan caused you to be bitter? Have you yielded to the temptation to sin, and by doing so, you have robbed God of glory that belongs to him? Or maybe you're here. You're not in, you don't have a bunch of, Skeletons in the closet, lots of unconfessed sin hanging around. You're not bitter. You're not angry at God. But you're just too busy. Our Father, I pray that you help us. Father, the most tragic thing is that some